This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths. Enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. When our values and actions align, we can find more peace. Valeria interviews Kristen Quinones. She is a licensed clinical social worker. Kristen just started her very own private practice this month, offering adults virtual, individual, and group psychotherapy. Kristen's early career experience was working with homeless, runaway, and foster care youth, as well as teens at risk of incarceration. She then transitioned into a more clinical role, providing psychotherapy to individuals and families addressing a variety of mental health and relational issues. Over the last five years, Kristen has been working in a group private practice, specializing in anxiety disorders such as panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, and OCD. There, she worked with clients, but also supervised interns and other clinicians, which was a valuable teaching experience. After this past year in a management role, Kristen decided to start her own private practice, an opportunity to be creative and grow something special of her own. Kristen's vision for her practice is to help others build their mental health through authenticity. In living authentically, there is alignment between values, emotions, and actions. Practicing with this framework helps Kristen teach her clients not only to manage difficult emotions, but also build the lives they want and find more peace. Today, one of Kristen's passions is still helping clients overcome anxiety. Kristen has always felt called to this work and finds joy in collaborating with her clients to help them learn and grow. Meet Kristen at AuthenticityNYC.com. Here's the interview with Kristen Quinones. In your own words, who is Kristen Quinones? So I am a social worker. I provide psychotherapy to adults for a variety of things, but specializing in anxiety. How did you discover this path in your life, this purpose, this mission? So when I was a small child, I was very into helping my classmates. I liked to tutor. I I think I imagined a potential path of teaching actually. But when I got to high school, I became extremely interested in psychology. I formed these really wonderful, meaningful relationships with guidance counselors. And I just had such a positive experience on the mental health front. So that was just something that really always piqued my interest. And then I pursued it in school and, and it just led me to social work. I was able to combine 
helping with teaching and it just felt like the right path to me. And I've just, I've felt called in that direction ever since. And it just feels right. I love to hear that. It feels right. Would you say it feels good? Would that be another way of saying it? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I I think that resonates as well. How do you define authenticity? Hmm. So to me, authenticity is about being able to align a number of things in your life. So it's being able to recognize and identify what your values are, what's really important to you and focus on who you, how you truly feel emotionally, how you truly feel versus how you think others um, view how you should feel or act um, or what, you know, they think the right thing to do is in any given situation. When we align our values and feelings with our actions, we find more authenticity. We're able to live a more authentic life because we're honoring ourselves. And that is, it's life-changing to be able to incorporate more of that into your day-to-day. It's something you can build. And it's something that's very important to me um, personally and professionally. It's something I try and help my clients work on every session. That makes so much sense. Um, The idea of doing what we believe in or mm-hmm. value. Are they the same thing, Kristen, values and beliefs? Mm, that's a good question. It's, you know, that is something to differentiate. I I would say they are different, especially in, in terms of the way we work with them in therapy. Um, so values, I would say, are are these core things that are really important to us, things that we want to prioritize. And then I would say beliefs are things that we are taught or exposed to, or we kind of form throughout our life around certain things. And I think beliefs shift and change. There are certain beliefs we have at certain times of our lives that really serve us well and point us in the right direction. Then there are times where they they no longer serve us to the best um, that they should. So we need to shift them and change our beliefs. And I would say values for me are a little more concrete. There's not to say they're not changeable, but I think beliefs are something we work with in a different way. That also resonates. So values, they can't change, but they usually don't change in a way, right? We Mm -hmm. cannot be certain about that. Where do values come from? You just made me think about this now. Is that something that we are born with? I think they're instilled in us uh, through our environment and and the people around us in that environment, our our family, um, our early caregivers. I think these are things, yeah, that are learned from a young age. I I do think that we can form new values as we grow older, but I do think there are some core ones that just come from very early in life that are very hard to change, um, which is not a bad thing because some of them can be really wonderful. (laughs) Another question. It's based on the a phrase that I've read on your website. It reads, living authentically is challenging, but incredibly rewarding. Mm-hmm. So the question is, why is it challenging? Mm. Well, when we live authentically, we very often have to face discomfort and really difficult situations. It could be just an uncomfortable situation or it could be discomfort with another person. So there are some times where we have to go headfirst into conflict, um, not necessarily a fight, but you know, a disagreement or some type of conflict with somebody 
in order to stand up for ourselves, to prioritize ourselves, to live in line with our values and set our own boundaries. So that can be really difficult, especially for folks who have anxiety or they're just, they've had really difficult experiences in the past with this, or they just have not felt safe in certain relationships through their life, where this can be really, really hard to do. And in a way, they then avoid avoid doing those things. And then they don't feel like they have that authentic sense of self. So it does require facing a lot of discomfort to start building more of that authenticity. Another beautiful answer. It really makes sense to me. It's not easy for me to say no, like boundaries. It's a tough one. And I often wonder why. And then I know, of course, my childhood and the way I was brought up with a lot of trauma and I couldn't really trust human beings around me. How interesting how it affects us. And I wonder if it it ever goes away, Kristen, because I still feel like I still see in myself some of those hesitations to say no to certain people, especially my family members. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes with family, it can be the hardest to practice these yeah. things, right? <laughs> right. <Because> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're the we're the closest to them, or we just have this different attachment to them than we might with uh, a colleague, for example. But that's a really good question, and I would say that there are certain things that shift and change with this work, and there are certain things that might not change as much. Like I do think that the more you would practice saying no with somebody, I think the quote unquote easier Mm. it would get to do it as time and practice on. However, I don't think that discomfort will necessarily 100% go away. The discomfort may always be there to some level. Maybe instead of at a nine, it goes down to a two with practice, but there might always be some discomfort. But the way you're practicing the behavior, your choices, the action, that in itself could change and shift for the better, that it just kind of comes out a little bit faster when you're in the situation. You don't feel maybe as frozen. You're able to set the boundary quicker, but you'll still kind of feel a little, you know, uncomfortable for the rest of the hour or the afternoon or the day. Almost like a feeling of guilt in a way. Yes. Oh, that's one of the most intolerable emotions. (laughs) Yeah, that's a tough one. How would you describe a healthy and happy person? Mm. A healthy and happy person. There's so many parts of of your life that I think you could look at to define that. Um, You know, I I think it comes back to what I said of when you honor, when you honor and put yourself first and your needs and your boundaries first, I think that brings a lot of happiness and health when you're protecting yourself. Um, As an adult, it's our responsibility to try our best to protect ourselves. And I think that when we do that and we create a life and a world and relationships with a sense of safety, that's when we find the most health and happiness. So it goes back to that authenticity, boundaries, being good at it, Mm self-love in all those practices. It makes so much sense to, although happiness is such an interesting concept, isn't it? It has been attached to pleasure or having things. So that is a tough one to define. But I do love the idea that we can find happiness in simple things. In what you just said, just having this trust in oneself, in ourselves to say no when we really mean no and not feeling guilt about it. That kind of equates to happiness to me. I'm working on that. Yes. (laughs) So another open question is about the purpose of the human experience. What do you feel that is? 
I feel that we are here to experience and learn and grow and connect with one another. I think a lot of why we're here is to connect. It's it's relational. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's the purpose of why we're here is to have these experiences. What are some of the obstacles to healing that you would point out? Hmm, obstacles to healing. There can, there can be a number of things that I think can get in the way. I do think, as you know, timing uh, in terms of our readiness to really confront and face and feel what needs to be felt around any given situation. Um, that sense of readiness, you know, it's there's no right or wrong with that. It's just about timing for me in terms of being ready to heal. That can be something. Another thing that can get in the way is, is you know, belief systems that we have. I think, so, like I said, some beliefs that we have had our whole lives served us really well for a long time. And then all of a sudden we reached a point where it's actually more harmful than helpful. So there's needing to dismantle those belief systems takes a lot of work and a lot of time as well. So sometimes that can, you know, create some barriers to healing. So it could be any number of things, but those are a couple that come to mind. Do you connect healing to spirituality and authenticity? Are they all connected from your perspective? Sure. I would say, um, I would say they are, they, they all require, a sense of self-reflection and and putting in effort. And I think they all have to do with your relationship to yourself. I think your relationship to yourself is one of the most important ones you'll have. And I think, especially what I see in a lot of my clients over the years, I think it's one of the hardest ones. People have a, a difficult time working on at times because it's easier or more natural in a way for them to connect with children or to connect with mm. their pets or loved ones or anything. <laughs> it's easier for them to give love to, to other versus self. And, you know, I think the more we focus on the self and the relationship to the self, the more authentic we live and the more we can heal because we need that. We need to give point that love inward. We need to feel that in order to really feel grounded and at our best and healthiest. Question that I often ask, I have not asked recently, actually. It's about being authentic or loving oneself and being selfish or self-centered. How do we learn to dance this dance? How do we know the balance <laughs> between those two things? And can we be just one way, authentic, self-loving and not selfish and self-centered? I think that comes back to values, right? Because if we value, if we value health and a healthy life and love of self, but we also value our relationships, then I think it's taking each situation at a time and trying to balance the two. It's hard, but if I think there are skills that can be learned to help make those decisions, you know, if what's, um, Someone told me this. I don't I'm not sure where the quote is from, but they said what's what's best for one is best for all. And I think that's a really good quote, because if it's not best for you, then it's not best for everyone because it could hurt the relationship. I think boundaries help preserve health in relationships. So being able to balance boundaries that keep you healthy and also being able to give to others. So saying yes to requests instead of no, or maybe going to that thing you don't really 100% want to go to, but you're okay with it because you really care about the person. Like making those decisions where it'll you're still giving, but you're preserving yourself. Um, I think 
I think it is possible, but you're right. It is a dance. It does require really thinking through what's important to me, what's best for me, but also what's best for all. And what a fascinating dance this life is. We're always trying to you know, find the middle path or the balanced way of being. And it's a constant effort. And it does take work. Yeah, you said that earlier. It's so true. Do you offer online sessions and also in-person groups, corporations? So I my my private practice is actually brand new. Uh, I am doing virtual therapy right now uh, with adults in New York, and I'm doing individual and groups. So groups is something that I'm really excited about. I think what's really cool about it is that it can incorporate even more of that teaching, which is really exciting. So I am also focusing on group therapy right now. Okay, so that's great to know. And the information you just mentioned can be found on your website. And I'll have that on, on your podcast profile too. So let's talk about redefining one's relationship with anxiety. You mentioned anxiety, but now I get to ask you some specific questions about it. Anxiety. Tough one for me about anxiety is this idea that life can be peaceful, quiet all the time. <laughs> and stress is not needed. We don't have to have stress or feel stressed. What is anxiety? And what is the difference between healthy stress and unhealthy stress? Sure. Oh, really good, good distinctions to make. Um, so what is anxiety? Anxiety is an emotion that we have. It is our body's way of communicating something to us, some type of fear, which to me, I would say, I personally don't want to get rid of my anxiety. And if, if me from 10 years ago heard me say that, I'd be very confused. Um, but I don't want to get rid of my anxiety because I now have this different relationship with it. Um, seeing, seeing my emotions as messages in terms of something that I need um, I need to do differently. Um, maybe it needs to bring me to action to make a different decision or do something different. To me, that is extremely valuable. And the thing with anxiety and fear is that it's incredibly protective. So these are very important messages that we need. So to me, healthy stress, you know, is, you know, having a lot on your plate, maybe feeling a little overwhelmed, a little bit busy, having a difficult situation at you know, at your hands and being in some type of crisis, maybe a family member is going through a health issue or something, you know, it's stressful, right? Like those are life things that happen and it's very normal and it's very healthy. To me, anxiety is when you start physically feeling quite ill. You have all these really intense physical sensations. They're very persistent. They're extremely uncomfortable. Maybe you're having panic attacks, stomach aches, back aches, whatever it might be. And that is it's very uncomfortable. I think a lot of people see anxiety as something bad happening to them that they're out of control of, as opposed to um, seeing it as, as a sign to do something different. So, you know, it can come in dif at different levels for sure. And um, I think that's, it's a big reason why I try and, you know, help my clients with it is I'm very passionate about helping them view it differently. Because when you do, you feel so much more in control. You feel much more of a sense of freeness um, and relief and peace when, when you view it in such a different way. 
so unhealthy stress can turn into anxiety, right, Kristen? Is that Absolutely. I would say that's the body's way of sending a message saying you're doing too much or this is too much. I would say that's the message it's sending. And it's only going to talk louder until you make a change. And how do we learn to um, manage or how do you teach your clients to manage anxiety or to view it differently? Do you have steps, step one, two and three, or it depends on the person? It, it depends on the person, but there are so many different skills. I think it's just a matter of which order to do them. So, you know, if somebody is coming in in crisis and they're they're dissociating, they're having panic attacks, they're having suicidal thoughts, they're, they're experiencing these high levels of anxiety, we are going to focus on distress tolerance skills to help them cope with all of these physical sensations of anxiety. When you give them that, they feel more like, okay, I have something I can do. I have a concrete, tangible strategy I can turn to if I'm feeling very unwell. And that that has to be step one when someone's anxiety is at that level versus somebody who maybe they have a lot of worry, just general worry all the time or about something specific. We're going to go much more into what's so scary about that and really trying to understand it and get to those underlying beliefs. And then we can decode the messages and be like, your body's telling you something. What is it saying? Doesn't feel right here. What do you think it's saying to do? What do you need? And then we, we learn self-talk of how do you as an adult, you are the grown up now. You, you, there's, there's no more parent around to do this for you because you're not five. Like you, you have this responsibility as an adult to yeah. soothe yourself. Right. You, and how do you soothe yourself? What do you, how do you talk to yourself? What do you say back to yourself? What do you say to your body? Do you say, I hear your message. Thank you. I'm okay. I can keep myself safe. It's about that self talk. It's, it's powerful. And we use lots of imagery and, there's so many wonderful resources and tools to help someone learn to soothe in that way. It's very inspirational, the idea that we can self-soothe because some of us have not learned to do that. Even from our, our parents, uh, we didn't have loving parents. So it's a tough balance to find for a lot of us, for many of us, unfortunately. No, abs absolutely. Um, I was just going to say, I think you you really hit the nail on the head with that because if it wasn't given to us as children um, or it wasn't modeled to us, then it, it's our responsibility as adults to learn that. And that can, that can be really hard. And sometimes we have to face the fact that we're, we're really sad that we didn't get that, but then accept that it's, it's now our turn to take control. And, and that can be really beautiful. So true, Kristen. Yeah, it is. It has been my case. And it takes so long a lot of times, right, to learn these things. I think I started my path on self-valuing and self-love and self-soothing at 37. Now I'm 45. So isn't it interesting? I wonder why it takes so long. Is that because I was not open to healing? I often wonder why I was not focusing on healing before. I would I would say, and obviously I don't know your, your whole story, but I, I would still say that all of these experiences you had up to that age, I think on some level you were doing the prep work to get there. And then something really shifted at that age that you were open to, to do all of that. But you were you were still doing these things to get ready to be in that spot. It's never too late. So true. And in my case, it was anxiety first. I was always anxious and about everything, which anxiety now, as you said, has to do with fear, underlying fears, all kinds of fears. 
And then it became depression. And I think it was never separated, really. I think I was anxious and depressed at the same time. Is that something that uh, you have found to be true? Oh, I think that's very common. I think the two the two go hand in hand many times and it's it, they kind of rise and fall. So every, no emotion is permanent. Every emotion kind of, it's like a wave, it goes up and down. So what the anxiety is all this adrenaline, it goes up, 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 and then it drops down into this sadness. So when you have anxiety or this fear about a situation or you're scared of doing something or someone's making you feel unsafe or uncomfortable, that reaches a peak And then when we feel too scared or paralyzed to make a change and to do something about it, we then get really sad and depressed about it. It's like this grief of just not being able to see that change and make that change in your life. So then you just feel very sad about it. And the sadness is saying, this is not right either. So it's a similar message, but it's, it's being communicated in a different way. I keep reflecting on that, how we do have this almost like built-in self-healing um, tool within ourselves that it has to be activated and a lot of times by others, people like yourself, therapists and healers. And a lot of times what it takes is uh, the, being open to ask for help and support. Mm -hmm. That's the main, to me, has been a huge factor, asking for help. Yeah, absolutely agree. It was said before, I don't know who said that, where I got that from. You probably have heard too, that fear and love, they are opposites. We cannot love if we are in fear. Is that something that resonates? Hmm. That's an interesting thing to think about how the two could be potentially opposite. Um, I guess, could you clarify, would you mean fear, fear in the relationship or of being vulnerable or... Mm, I guess in general, I love the broad view of of things, of everything. So I'm wondering if this can be applied to life itself and everything we do, because we are not separate from the things in our thoughts and our actions. So I'm wondering if love and fear can occupy the same space. I would say yes, because I think that I'm not, if I'm thinking about it in in let's say the, the ideal or uh, the healthiest way, I would say that in our relationships where we have lots of love, there would be lots of healthy fear of losing the person. And that fear, the message the fear is sending is I'm scared to lose this person or this relationship because of how much I care and I want to really, really protect it. So I would say that uh. that's very healthy fear uh. and obviously very healthy love if it's like a good positive connection, right? So like I would say that in that sense, the two can most certainly occupy the same space in a very healthy way versus the complete opposite of, let's say, it's not the healthiest, safest relationship. I think some people do feel that love for someone and might have very, very protective, healthy fear that's telling them to maybe step back and protect themselves in a, in a more physical way. So I think, you know, that those feelings could coexist. Many feelings can coexist at the same time. It's all different messages. Maybe the word's not fear, right, Kristen? It might not be fear. When you mentioned loving somebody and then being afraid to lose them. Because mm -hmm. when I think about that, I, I usually think about the end. If that's how I get to live life, per se, with purpose, because I always start with the end. What would I do or say or create if I were to die in about two weeks, a month from now, mm -hmm. two months. Mm -hmm. So I'm always reflecting on that. Even when I'm looking at people around me, my husband, my dog, my mother-in-law, I'm mm -hmm. always reflecting on that. The feeling I have, it's not a fear. It's a, what arises when I think about losing them is appreciation. 
Mm. Or like I want to give them a hug <laughs> right away. <Yeah. laughs> but what you're saying is it's almost like driven by that fear. Oh, could I call it a different name? Could we call it a different, not fear, but something else? I'm wondering. I think appreciation makes sense. I mean, this is this is why bringing spirituality into psychotherapy is so important. It's something I want to do more and more of with my clients because what you just described is so huge. And I think so many people are missing it because they associate spirituality with religion and they don't really feel comfortable talking about death. But what you just said is is so important because you were thinking about there is, you know, whatever your views are on the ending, you were saying what matters is right now. Right. Yeah. This connection means the world to me. And that's going to fuel even more love and gratitude and affection with these people. So I think that 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 is so important. And I think I mean, what you just described to me is just massive perspective, really important perspective that just powered up your love by a lot. Going back to the topic of authenticity, you say you title, we build authenticity in therapy by, and then you have different elements or ways of doing that. And then you talk about emotions. So I would love for you to talk to me for a moment about that from what do you do from your perspective as a therapist? How do you teach them to become more authentic? I think the authenticity really um, is tied into the feelings identification and the way that the emotions are regulated. So I do think that there is is overlap there, right? Because first we have to identify you know, what are the emotions telling you? Do you need to make changes? So sometimes our emotions are in overprotective mode. And maybe like, like I said before, like for the example of someone with really, really chronic worry and anxiety, their body could be in overdrive in that example of telling them they're not safe, but they're not. It's like their body is, is reacting to physical danger and they're having all the sensations to go with it, to move them, to protect themselves. But maybe the situation is just a fear of being humiliated. So being able to identify, okay, is this a feeling I need to talk to and soothe? And maybe I don't need to make big changes. Or is this feeling a warning sign and telling me I need to make big life changes? So when we really redefine our um, the way that we understand and interact with the feelings, then we move to the change. And I think the change is where we then talk about authenticity, right? Because when we are then behaving differently and making different choices and having relationships differently and speaking differently and setting those boundaries. That is where being more authentic comes in because you're living it. You're being authentic, not only to yourself and being honest with yourself, but you're showing everyone else who you really are and what's important to you and and what your needs are. So when you make some of those bigger changes, just in terms of how you're interacting with the world and with people, that is practicing the authenticity. And it takes courage, doesn't yes. it, Kristen? Oh, yeah. a lot. Gosh, <laughs> tell me about it. So I have the ending questions, but before that, would you like to add anything else that we left unsaid? I don't think anything big. Um, I just, you know, this is something I'm so passionate about and really believe in. And I just want everybody to know that they are capable of, you know, building more of this in their life, building that authenticity, feeling more of a sense of peace with their emotions and how they navigate it. It's possible. The work can be done. The support is out there. And I just want people to know that it's it's never too late to, to learn these skills and to live them and to build the lives that they really want. And mm. they deserve that. So that's yeah. all. 
Like yeah, that. <laughs> that's lovely. <laughs> that's truly lovely. I absolutely, as I said before, off record and probably on record here, I love this intention in humans of helping others, seeing the suffering and then trying to lessen that suffering. It's precious. What do you love most about being in a human body? Oh, I would say... Be, being with my loved ones, being able to physically, you know, be with them, hold them, just being able to connect um, is so beautiful and so special. Uh, and then maybe a second thing would be, you know, being out in outdoors and in nature, being able to really experience the elements and everywhere we are. I, I love being at the beach. If I'm by water, I'm happy. So just Breathing that in is just um, the most grounding, wonderful thing. I really enjoy that. Tell me about it too. <laughs> what is freedom to you, Kristen? Freedom. So to me, freedom is being able to give yourself permission to do what's best for you. I would say giving yourself permission to feel what you're feeling, to need what you need, to love what you love, giving yourself that permission and yourself that love is is the most freeing thing. Surrounding yourself with people who make you feel free is one of the best choices you can make. At this time, what is the world's greatest need? Uh, I have to quote the Beatles. We need ah. more. We, all we need is love. <laughs> yeah. We need lots and lots of love. And, I agree. You know, I, you know, I uh. just that everyone needs love and everyone need, you know, can benefit from having beautiful, loving relationships. But, you know, most importantly, love of self, forming a loving relationship with yourself, finding some self-acceptance and self-love is it's huge. And the more that we we teach that um around the world, the more that that will then pour into parenting, it will pour into our, our new generations of children. It, it, that can be life-changing. What is another word for life? Hmm, another word for life. I don't know if I would go with love or, or connection or experience. I think those, those three just really jump at me. Um, yeah, even just energy. I think they, they just all kind of go together. It's, it's this one big experience uh, that we're all here for. I love that you say that because today, I think it was today, this morning, I woke up thinking about the human body. Human beings, actually everything to me, it's one thing. It's a spiritual experience, everything. But the human body. And then I thought about, huh, the human body is made of love. So that's what it is. We're just um, a made of love, but we don't know that. How interesting. Not to know what we are made of. The mind is such a, a fascinating tool that it tries to analyze and explain everything away and then tries to define love. And that cannot mm -hmm. be, from that perspective, cannot really be described or defined. Yeah, just a reflection. I don't know why I woke up with that thing, no, that thought. I I, I appreciate that. And I, I read something um, recently somewhere. It was it was another quote of something of if you only knew how much the universe adored you. And to me, that's just so beautiful. And that's very spiritual, too, to just kind of envision just this overwhelming <laughs> love and energy coming at you from the universe. It's like, wow, it's really powerful. <laughs> so being able to feel that and then also turn that inward toward yourself is just really powerful. How amazing this whole experience is. Thank you so much for your presence here today, Kristen. Oh, thank you. I'm so grateful. And before we say goodbye for today, where can we find more information about you, your services, your work and future projects? The best place is my website, which is AuthenticityNYC.com. Wonderful. I'll have that on your podcast profile too. Thank you again. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Thank Kristen. you. 
Thank you for listening. To learn more about Kristen Quinones and her work, please visit AuthenticityNYC.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.